Well, if you're here and you've got your copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, if you'll take it and turn to the book of Psalms, we're going to start in Psalm 119. We've got two passages we're going to read out of Psalm 19, then we're going to flip over to Proverbs, read a scripture, and if you're finding everything, we're going to go over to the book of Daniel uh, by the middle. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, as always. Lord, we never want to take him for granted, and we never want to grow cold in the salvation that you've given us. Father, I pray that as we uh, continue to take a look at prayer, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us to hold fast, to keep your word, and to be found holy whenever you bring about the decision you'll bring about. Father, we love you. Lord, I pray now that you would feed your people. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're over in the book of Psalms. Then I told you we're going to go over to Proverbs. We're going to read a few scriptures. And I want to try to tie up a handful of loose ends with the topic of prayer that we, we discussed over the last two weeks. And so what I want to do is I want to read these scriptures. And then I want to kind of take a step back. And I want to talk about how all of these things work themselves out in real life. And so I've got a handful of um, uh Bible stories to go to to show you kind of how these things work themselves out for good and for bad And then i've got uh, one or two personal stories that I want to share with you in order to wrap things up And then at the very end, uh, we're going to discuss one last aspect of of prayer and waiting in prayer And then i'm going to ask you to join with me this week in doing something And so let's jump into the book of psalm chapter 109 and i'm in verse 105 And this is going to be the the, the gist of the main message. Psalm chapter 109, verse 105. Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I have sworn and I will confirm it that I will keep your righteous ordinances. And then if you back up to verse 97, we're going to read verse 97 through 104 of chapter 109. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, because I have observed your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way, that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Far from your precepts, excuse me, from your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. And so what I want you to kind of see here, and I know that all of these are talking about God's law. They're all talking about God's word. They're talking about what you have in front of you right here. Now, the writer of the psalm doesn't have the latter half of what you have. He's got the early half. But what I want you to see is that when the psalm writer is looking for wisdom from God, he goes to God's word. And he says that through God's word and through obedience to God's word, he has understanding and wisdom more so than all of his teachers. And so the the point is, is that you can spend your whole life in prayer and you can be found still wanting. Prayer in its best is coupled with reading of God's word in order to have understanding. Because a lot of times when we pray, God's already given us an answer in his word. And so between our prayer and giving our petitions to God and reading his word, it's pretty easy to come up with an answer to most of the things that we pray for. You following me? Everybody give me a little head nod. And so then we go over to the book of Proverbs. It's a couple pages to your right. This is a verse that I've read to you uh, probably 10 times by now. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. 
And it says this, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And so I'm going to read the other verse one more time. This is back in Psalm 109. Your word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my, fa- my path. I have sworn and I will confirm it that I will keep your righteous ordinances. And so I'm going to tell you in a minute a story about Abraham and Sarah and a lady named Hagar. And what I want you to see is that God's word out of Psalm 109 is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Uh, most of you all uh, that live uh, outside of where there's street lights, you have a, a light that you go outside with. If you need to go outside, there are no street lights. Once you get past maybe the motion sensors on your house, uh, you can't see much. If you live out towards Woodard, you can see absolutely nothing. It's pitch black. You guys actually get to see all of the stars. We only get to see about half of them here in the city limits. And so it's normal for you to have some sort of flashlight near the door so that when you have to go outside, you can see wherever you want. It's normal when you go hunting at night, you take a light with you, a good light, so that if you shoot a deer at twilight, you can find him, right? You guys thought I was going to say, if you don't shoot a deer, then you can shoot one on the way home with a spotlight. But I wouldn't recommend that. And so what we're used to is I have a flashlight that uh, is about yay long. It's like the police officers carry. It's a mag light. It's got an LED light in it. It takes about 4D batteries. You can see a pretty good ways with the mag light. I let the kids carry that one. I have another one that you can plug into the car. It's about yay big. Uh, you can almost put it in your pocket. It's made by Stanley. It's bright yellow. And when you shine it, it's got a couple million candle watt power. And you can see as far as your eyes can make out, right? You can just see a long ways. A lot of you guys have spotlights like that also. That's what we're used to, right? We're used to, if you're driving down a, a dark road at night, we like to switch from our low beams to our high beams so that we can see everything that's going on. We don't just want to see right down the middle of the road, but we want to see any shiny eyes on the side of the road that are getting ready to dart in front of our car also. You with me? And so we like to have as much information as we can have so that we can make decisions way ahead of time. That's why we run our high beams at night. God's word is not high beams. God's word and what God usually gives us is a candle. You following me? What God wants from you, what God wants from me, is not for us to sit at home or to sit in our car and etch out a plan for the rest of our lives. He doesn't want that. Like, that's what we want. We want to sit down, we want to, read God, we want to read God's Word, and then we want Him to map out every decision that our life is going to have. And that's not what the Scripture says. Right? So the psalm writer says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. And so when they're talking about light, they're talking about a little oil-filled flask that has a wick in it, and that's what they carried as a light. And so what I want all of us to know is that when we're praying and when we're looking for answers, we need to keep God's word. We need to be in his word because that's where we're going to get a ton of insight. We need to be in prayer. And what God wants from us is to use his word as a light. And he wants his word to guide each step, not just our entire destination. Okay? He's very rarely is he ever going to map out for you a whole trip 
around the world, right? Usually he's going to map out for you one, maybe two steps that you need to take. And then when you take those one or two steps, he's going to map out for you one or two steps more. Most of your people who we would consider heroes of the faith, they didn't, like Billy Graham didn't wake up in one morning and go, you know what? Uh, I think God's calling me to have crusades all over the world and he's going to use me to call tens of thousands of people to the Lord. That's not what happened. He was a regular guy who spent a lot of time in the woods preaching to trees because he was nervous to talk to people. And then when he got to preach in front of his first congregation, he was incredibly nervous. And God just said, preach to this group of people. And he was faithful and did it. And then God brought him another group of people. And he said, preach to this group of people. And it was little baby steps all along the way. If God would have went to Billy Graham when he was first getting his start and said, hey, I think I want you to travel the world and call tens of thousands of people to Christ. And we're going to televise these things. And we're going to send you to countries that you never thought the gospel would be able to get into. He would have probably looked at God and been like, yeah, right. You got the, I'm sorry, you got the wrong number. Click. Listen. God wants to do things that would blow your mind, but he wants you to trust him to take one baby step at a time in the direction he's leading you. And this is what happens most of the time with our prayers. And so we need to use his word as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Now I want to tell you about a guy named Abraham. So uh, you guys remember Genesis 1 through 11. Uh, God has created everything. Things went downhill after sin entered the world. Noah comes along. God floods the earth and he starts back over with Noah and his family. And then in an effort to draw the world back to God, God chooses a guy named Abraham. And he tells Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless the world. I'm going to give you land, seed, and a blessing. And then he says, and I'm going to bless all of your descendants. So Abraham's old guy kind of looks around and says, you know, that's great and all, but I don't really have any descendants. And so 10 years takes place after God promises to give Abraham descendants and to bless him like crazy. And he's still looking around 10 years later after God said this, right? He heard the voice of God and God said, I'm going to bless you and your descendants. And he actually says that your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so you can just imagine that there were times over the course of 10 years that Abraham would be in his hammock looking up at the stars going, wow. Uh, that's a lot of descendants. Uh, God, I don't even have one. And so his wife comes up with an idea. And he says, hey, Abraham, uh, you're old. I'm well stricken with years. She says, it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. And so Hagar, the maidservant of Sarah, excuse me, Sarah tells Abraham, hey, I've got this maidservant named, named Hagar. Maybe God wants to use her to give you descendants. And so Sarah says, hey, why don't you take Hagar, sleep with her, and then that'll be our descendant. Now, it's been 10 years since God said, I'm going to bless your descendants, and they're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that's a real bad idea, right? You with me? Like, let's just all agree. Like, we can all agree that that's a real bad idea. And so Abraham gives in, and he does it. What Abraham should have done would have taken the things that God had said and trusted that God was going to do them without sinning. Because I want you to see what the psalm writer says. He says, I love your law. I meditate on it. Your commandments are wise. I have insight. And then he says in verse 100 of chapter 109 of Psalms, he says, I understand more than the age because I observed your precepts. And then this goes hand in hand. He says, I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. And so what Abraham should have done 
And it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback. I get it. What Abraham should have done is said, no, Sarah, bad idea. We don't need to get into any sinful situation for God to bring about what he's promised he's going to bring about. And so what I want any of you that are praying about things to know is that God can bring about whatever needs to be brought about in your life without you sinning. What we need to do as people who are actively praying for things is that we need to meditate on God's word. We need to use his word as a light to our path and we need to make all of our decisions as if we were making decisions as Jesus. And we need to trust that God's going to bring about his good and perfect will with us being obedient to him. You following me? No matter what that looks like. And so no matter what your boss is like in the morning, no matter what sort of uh, behavior your kids come up with in the morning, any sort of crazy decision, uh, whatever sort of tax problems you may have found yourself in, the answer to all of our prayers is that we need to do whatever God's word says to do, and we need to trust God to iron out the rest. You with me? That's most of our prayers. And we need to do that, not sinning. And so if you go on, there's another situation that comes up. This is over in the book of Daniel. This is a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love these three guys. So there's these three guys who are faithful Jews. You don't have to turn there, but you can. It's Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. That's the last section that we're going to turn to. But you've got these three guys, and the king Nebuchadnezzar builds this image, and he wants the whole country of Babylon to bow down before the image. And so, listen, here's another one of those situations where you don't have to be a rocket scientist. There's a guy in front of you who's the king, and he wants you to bow down and worship an image that looks like him. Do you do it or do you don't do it? Well, if you've been using God's word as a lamp to your feet and a light to your path, uh, it says that you need to worship God and him only. Don't ever worship a graven image. And so when you're standing there and a crazy guy says, you need to worship this image, the answer is, well, God's word says don't do it. And then you may say, well, but the crazy guy has authority to kill me. That doesn't matter. God's word says don't do it. Well, but the crazy guy says he's really going to kill me. And he's actually, he's turned the furnace up so much that the people who open the door, they burn to death on the outside of the furnace. And if I don't do it, they're going to kill me. What do you do then? What doesn't matter? God's word says don't do it. So none of the details matter. This is one of those issues that are very white and very black. God's word says don't do it. This crazy guy says do it. So what do I do? It may be the same thing with you at your job. Your boss says do this, but it's illegal. Okay, don't do it. But my boss might fire me. That doesn't change anything. Like God's word says some things are right, some things are wrong. And we need to be people who when we're praying about things, we're doing the right things because that's what God has called us to do. And so these three guys, I love their faith. Uh, the king says, I'm going to cast you into the furnace if you don't do it. And nobody's going to be able to deliver you out of my hands. Daniel chapter 3 verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, this is right, if it be so, if you're going to throw us in the furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And he says, so listen, Nebuchadnezzar, it doesn't matter. If you throw me in the furnace, God's able to deliver me. They're showing their faith in God. And then they say, listen to this, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 18. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. 
And so you've got these three guys who are looking death in the face. And the guy says, worship the idol. And they say, we're not going to do it. We don't have to give you a reason why we're not going to do it. But if you throw us in the furnace, God's able to save us. And if God doesn't choose to save us, that's fine with us. We'll go into the furnace. But we're not worshiping your idol. And brothers and sisters, we need a church full of people who, when they're facing a situation, they say, come whatever comes my way, I'm choosing to do what God says to do, no matter what the cost. And that's what we need. And, and by the way, we need a country that says the same thing. And that's the only thing that I think will turn our country around from the cesspool that we find ourselves in. If somebody that will say, we're going to do whatever God says is right, no matter what the cost, and we're going to let the chips fall where they are. But we're going to put our whole faith in God. And so then, if you, uh, if you keep thinking about uh, along the lines of people praying for things and God providing for people, I'm thinking back to the time when the Israelites were freed from the nation of Egypt. And so God sends in Moses... And he leads the people out of Egypt and he's taken them to the promised land, right? And the people have nothing. They've got the food in their sacks. They've got the clothes on their back. They took all of their belongings with them. But now they're in the wilderness, in the desert, and they're looking around and they've got nothing, right? And it looks like the deck is stacked against them. But then God calls a huddle, right? The people cry out to the Lord because they're hungry. And God says, listen, gang, I've got a plan. Okay, what's your plan? Well, first of all, God makes water come from a rock, right? And he feeds over, or he gives over two million people water from a rock. And then they don't have any food to eat. And so God makes it rain manna from heaven. And manna is a, is a honey-like wafer, they call it. It's very sweet. And so I kind of imagine like chunks of honey bun falling from the sky, right? And so now God has provided for all of these people's needs through a rock and, and food like a, a hostess truck falling from the sky, Right? And he's provided for everybody. And so here these people are in the middle of a bleak situation. It looks like everything is stacked against them. Pharaoh's army has chased them. They've gotten swallowed up by a river or by the sea. They're out in the middle of the wilderness with no food. And God is actively providing for all of their needs. And what I want you to see through this particular story and through the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that oftentimes it seems like God comes through and answers our prayers at what seems like the very last minute. That oftentimes God's people are most found to be walking with God at the very last second. That just seems to be how things work. You very rarely ever see where God is answering prayers ahead of when people need them. And the reason I share this with you is because I don't know what you may be praying through. I don't know what's going on in your life or what decisions you're looking for the Lord to make. But oftentimes when we're praying and we're in God's word, God usually makes us step out on a limb before he answers our prayers. And I found that to be true in my own situation. Usually we need to be desperate for him before he shows us exactly what we're supposed to do. Now, this does not apply to all of your situations. I'm just talking about most of us. This is the case. And so what I want you to see sometimes practically with the story of manna in the wilderness is that I've been in a situation that seems similar. Like I've never had things fall out of the sky to eat and I've never had water come from a rock or anything like that. But just by way of personal testimony, I told you guys that when I graduated from high school, I knew that God was calling me at 17 years old to go into the ministry. And I didn't want to do it because... I would have had to go to college 
and college was expensive and I didn't want to do the hard work that college took. And so I ran from God and I joined the army instead. Well, after I got out of the army uh, and got right with God, I ended up going to college. And what that meant at this point, going through college, I was married and had a child. That meant that I was broke as a joke through college having to work all the time. And I never had enough money to make it through a month. I could never sit down at the beginning of the month and pay all of my bills and relax. We were always for four years in the red. When I finished college, I finished college with no debt. For four or five years, I was never able to make a monthly budget. It was pray and God provide. It was pray and God provide. And we would always get down to the last few dollars that we had and then God would provide more. And so for five years, I felt like I was the Israelites wandering around in the wilderness. The, the uh, Israelites, while they're wandering around in the wilderness, God tells them, listen, gang, I'm going to make it rain manna in the morning. I want you only to collect how much you need for the day. And then the next day, I'm going to rain manna in the morning again. And we're talking about prayer. And we're talking about God answering prayers. And I just want you to know that they got sick of it. They got so sick of it that they wanted to turn around and they wanted to go back to Egypt. Because they remember eating fish in Egypt. They remember eating all these other things in Egypt. And they got tired of, of waiting and relying on God for a long time. They wanted to eat meat. They didn't like the provision that God was giving them. And if you think, if you're honest, you think, man, wouldn't that be cool to be dependent on God and every morning watch God provide everything you needed falling from the sky? Like, wouldn't that be neat? Like, you with me? Like, you're just fully relied on God and he's making honey buns rain from the sky every morning. And you don't have to save any of it because he's going to give you the same amount the next morning. And actually, the people who are hoarding it away, all of theirs gets bugs in it each night. But the only people who get satisfied are the ones who only collect enough for one day. Well, I can tell you that after five years of that in life, I had a prayer with God. And the prayer was, God, thank you for meeting all of my needs but I'm tired of living like this. I'm tired of it. I don't feel like I can do it anymore. You, you see this? This is God providing. And I've told you guys all sorts of crazy ways that God provided for me when I was in college. All sorts of ways. Money showing up mysteriously in the mailbox. People dropping by to pay our rent when God called us to do different things. I mean, all sorts of wild things. And in the midst of it, I'm in God's word and I'm in prayer. But I'm tired of God providing like that. Why? Because I want to be self-sufficient. And gang, just a, a word of testimony about the way God works. God, I don't see him answering a lot of prayers. And I don't see him doing a lot of things when we are self-sufficient in and of ourselves. I see people getting prayers answered when they're out on a limb and they've got nowhere else to turn to but God. That's when I see God moving the most. And again, this isn't addressing everyone's situation. This is just a word of testimony from what I see in my life. And so what I want you to see is that sometimes following the Lord in prayer is frustrating. But we're called to follow him one step at the time. That's what he promises us. He promises to get us through to the next step and to light our path through being in his word and through being in prayer. And just uh, just maybe as an encouragement to some of you, that whole time that I was 
uh, broke in college, I did construction for a living. So I built fences. That, that's the, the main way I made my income. And I would always try to hustle and pick up these side jobs. And I could never, ever get one. Right? Never was able to pick up a side job in four and a half years. So my job who I, for the guy I was working for comes to an end. Right? No more job. No more money on the horizon. So I'm out of a job. And God has called me. Uh, I felt like through prayer and through his word to take all of the classes that I needed to take to finish up college and be done that semester. And so what that meant is I'm going to take 27 credit hours my last semester and I'm going to just finish this whole college thing. And the dean of the school said, what in the world are you doing? And I said, listen, bro, I'm just trying to stay married at this point because uh, my wife is going to leave me if we don't get out of school. Uh, I say that tongue in cheek, but it was time to be done. And so now I'm having this conversation with God. And I said, God, I know that this is what you want me to do. Like, I, I know 100% you want me to finish school and be done. But Lord, if that happens, I'm not going to be able to work anymore. Because I'm going to take all of my time doing schoolwork to finish up. And he said, yeah, I don't want you to work. God, I'm a grown man. I'm the only one in my house that brings money in. How am I supposed to not work for three or four months and finish school? And he said, don't worry about it. Just do it. And so long story short, uh, I decided to do it. I sign up for all the classes and I sign up for all the classes having absolutely no idea how God is going to provide. Then I get a phone call from a number I don't recognize on my cell phone. I say, hello, and they say, hey, this is so-and-so from Veterans Affairs. I had run out of money from the Army, right? All my GI Bill money was gone, and this lady on the phone, she says, hey, we just wanted to let you know that we've decided to cover your last semester of college. What? Like, the VA doesn't do that. The VA normally wants to take your money instead of give you more money. Like, if you've ever dealt with them, you realize this is the case. And so I get this phone call that they're going to cover a, the bulk of my tuition. And so, okay, great. Now my school is paid for, but... God, I don't have any way to pay for my house or utilities or anything like that. And out of the blue, I get another phone call. And I get a phone call for somebody who needs a fence built, right? The tough thing about hustling as a fence contractor is that if you've got a business license and a legitimate gig, you get to buy materials at wholesale. And so if you're not buying your materials at wholesale, you really can't compete with the other folks who are doing it. And so I kind of explained that situation to them, said, listen, I'm kind of out of it, won't be able to do it. And they said, no, you don't understand. We've got all the materials on site. We just need somebody to show up and put it all together. And I was like, how does this happen? Like, this isn't something normal. And I'm telling you what, I showed up at this football field, and it was a booster club that had hustled and got some kind of uh, uh, cut-rate chain-link fence, and they had 1,600 feet of chain link fence on the ground. And they said, we just need somebody to give us a quote to put it all in. And I was like, you are absolutely kidding me. So I've, I've quit my job. My job is gone. And now I'm trusting the Lord. And this, this $2,000 job falls into my lap that I'm able to do in a week. And I'm able to make enough money to live for the whole month. And that's the sort of stuff that happens, brothers and sisters. When we take God at his word and we step out in faith. And do what he's called us to do. He makes things fall into place when we trust him first. When we do what's right. Right? When we live righteous and holy lives. And we trust him. And we're in prayer. And we're doing what he calls us to do. He works things out. I promise you. And So whatever you're going through, just keep that in mind. Just don't be afraid to be holy and step out in faith. And so uh, ultimately... Where I want to get to is that sometimes 
uh, we do things that are, um, that are against the will of God. I said, let me give you this example. So I am in high school, I told you. I know that God has called me to pursue the ministry. I joined the military instead, right? The military seemed a lot easier. And so this kind of coincides with September 11th. That's why I'm telling you this story. And so I, signed, I joined the army as a 17-year-old male. I finished high school and I show up to, join, to, to leave for the army. I've already done the whole physical thing. Now it's time to ship out. I've already picked out a job and I'm gone. So the army is going to give me $50,000 extra for college and $20,000 as a sign-in bonus, right? And I'm 17 years old and I'm going to get stationed in Monterey, California and I've got this dream of playing golf at Pebble Beach, right? And so I'm going to surf in Monterey and I'm going to play golf at Pebble Beach and I'm 17 years old and I'm going to have $20,000 in my pocket, right? That's my thought. So that's a pretty, don't you wish your 17 year old would come home with an idea like that? And so my job was going to be uh, a linguist in the army, signal warfare, be a linguist. So I'm going to be in army intelligence. Uh, some of you think that's oxymoron, but they were going to pay really good to do it. And so that's my plan. And my ship out date was September 11th, 2001. And so I show up to the army. I've already sworn in back in February. September is the day I'm supposed to leave. And so we show up at like six o'clock in the morning. We, we finish all of our details and by eight o'clock in the morning, they've given us all our plane tickets and we're just waiting for a bus to show up to take us to the airport and go to our duty stations. So I'm, I'm in the army now. I got a plane ticket in my hand, next stop boot camp, and we watch the Twin Towers fall on TV. And I've got a plane ticket and I've already joined the army and I'm thinking, God, what in the world are you doing? Right? Like, I, I joined the army running from you. And now you've got my wholehearted attention. Like, I know this is not where I'm supposed to be. Like, I'm still a follower of Christ, but I'm not walking in obedience to the things that he's called me to. And so now I find myself, the Twin Towers have fallen. I've got my plane ticket in my hand. And you guys know the story for the rest of September 11th. What do they do with the airports? They shut them all down. And so they call us back together and they said, give us your plane tickets. And so we give them our plane tickets. And the bright, young, 17-year-old I was, I said, uh, what, is, what does this mean for us now? Like, what are, your, your thought is, okay, they're going to make us all infantrymen, and in nine weeks, I'm going to be in Afghanistan. Like, that's your first thought. Well, they said, actually, we, we called you here to tell you that all of your jobs are canceled, right? Anything that you signed up for, anything that you promised is all gone. So now we can't have it anymore. So now my, my 17-year-old high school plan of being a linguist in the army, getting out of the army and joining the CIA, all of that is shot. And so now God's got my attention. I'm in the army. I've got to pick another job. And so God leads me to the job that I chose. You guys know I was a diver in the army. Well, it worked itself out that the only place that you could be stationed as a diver in the army is Virginia, about 30 minutes away from where I grew up, and Hawaii. And so God sent me right back to the place where I was running from. So what I want you to see with a lot of this is that that verse in Romans chapter 8 that we read about God working all things together for the good of those who believe and are called according to his purpose, that even though I was running, my heart was to do what God wanted me to do. But listen to this. What God wanted me to do wasn't profitable and it wasn't convenient. And brothers and sisters, I don't know of anyone that God has called to do something that's profitable or convenient. And so as you're praying, as you're working through whatever God wants you to do with your life, whatever decision is next, don't make it based on convenience or profitability. 
Because God often calls us to places where we need to be relying fully on him, not ourselves. And so I tell you that whole story to tell you that if God hadn't used all of those things in my life, I wouldn't be here right now in front of you as your pastor. Like, I would have gone and done my own thing. But by the grace of God, I'm more content, I have more joy and fulfillment in my life than I've ever had doing this as opposed to what I was going to do. And so I just want to encourage you, as you pray, don't be afraid to step out in faith and do what God's calling you to do, even if it doesn't make sense to the rest of the world around you. Follow me? All right. So now we've covered the bulk of most of our prayer requests. Now I want to get down to something that is unusual, and I want to ask your help for something. Um, most of you guys know uh, that we've been praying for uh, Ron and Pam, and we've been praying for their grandson, particularly Graham. Everybody give me a head nod, make sure you're still awake, okay? I'm not preaching to you now. Now I'm asking for your help. And so uh, Graham, if you don't know, his parents are Matt and Liz. Liz is Ron and Pam's daughter. She came here. Uh, she came here more years than I've been here, and you guys watched her grow up. Well, she had a child named Graham, and Graham had some uh, health problems with his heart, and he's had a handful of other health problems. Well, what Graham needs is a kidney, okay? But Graham has been taken off of the kidney donor list, and so uh, even if they found a kidney, they wouldn't give it to Graham because you have to be in certain health in order to be a, an organ recipient, and so now the decision on the table, and so Ron and Pam and their family have been praying through all of this for their grandchild and for their parents. And so the next step now is that Monday, Graham goes to a doctor who's a kidney doctor, and they've got to work through whether or not to put Graham on dialysis. I don't have all of the details, and I might mess some of it up, but if you've ever known anybody who's been on dialysis, it's painful, it's inconvenient, and it really messes up your quality of life. And so one of the decisions that they're going to have to work through is whether or not to put Graham on dialysis or not. This is a tough thing. And so everything that I've just told you about prayer, it doesn't apply in this situation. You following me? This is one of those situations that is uh, huge. And right and wrong, neither one is right or wrong. And, and nobody has as solid answers as we want to have. And so the doctor's appointment is on Monday, Monday afternoon. And what I want to ask you guys as a church to do again is I want you to join me in prayer and fasting on Monday. And I want to switch our Wednesday night prayer meeting to Monday night. And so we want to switch the prayer meeting from, month, from Wednesday night to Monday night. And I want to have a meal at 7 o'clock started by prayer. And so what I'm asking you for is I'm asking you to fast as a church with me. And so that means if we're going to eat at 7 o'clock on Monday night as a church, we're going to come together and pray. I'm going to ask you from Monday, or excuse me, from tonight at 7 o'clock to abstain from food until Monday. And let's corporately fast. And when you say, well, we're going to fast, what do we pray for? My answer is, I don't know what to pray for. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physician. I'll tell you what I'm going to pray for. I'm going to pray that Matt and Liz have an incredible amount of wisdom in the decision that they're going to make. I think that any life is important, and I'm going to pray that Graham's life be continued and that, that healing comes to his body. I'm going to pray for Ron and Pam that, you would, that God would give them the same comfort and peace that gets brought to Matt and Liz. 
And I'm going to pray that God is more present in their life than he's ever been in the past. And then ultimately, I'm going to pray that whatever God's will is, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their prayer is, listen, God's able to deliver us. And so my prayer is that God deliver their family and that the boy be a healthy young man. And then my prayer is that, God, if you choose not to, I pray that you receive all the glory and honor through this situation. And I pray that you be a comfort in time of trouble for the family. And that's what I know to pray for. And none of that is super deep, but I feel like as a church family, that's what we need to do for our brothers and sisters uh, in Christ, Ron and Pam, and for their daughters, Matt and Liz. And so just to make sure you know what I'm asking you for, at 7 o'clock tonight, I'm going to ask you not to eat any food. You work out whatever deal you want to make with the Lord when it comes to beverages that you drink. And then I'm going to ask you not to eat anything Monday morning. And you come to church here, this church, in the fellowship hall at 7 o'clock. We're going to move our Wednesday night service to Monday night, 7 o'clock. And we'll share a meal together after we pray. We'll corporately break the fast together, praying for the family. Make sense? Bring some food with you. We'll have a potluck dinner. Don't get all antsy about the details as far as food and this. I'll provide drinks. Everybody else bring some food. We're going to trust that the Lord work the whole thing out, okay? Listen, I've got plans on Monday, right? I've got soccer practice. I'm going to be able to show up right here at 7 o'clock along with the rest of you. This is not something fancy. It's not a big production. This is God's people praying and fasting, trusting the Lord. And then we're going to come together as a group at 7 o'clock and we're going to pray And we're going to enjoy a meal together, trusting that the Lord's going to answer our prayers. We've done this once before, about a year and a half ago. It was March, a year before last. And after we did this for Graham, God did some great things. I'm not saying he did it just because of our fast. But coincidentally, uh, they had some good medical news come about as a result of this. And so I want to ask you to join me. During our invitation, you're welcome to pray. Come to the altar and pray for them any way you see fit. Listen, any of you that have medical needs and fasting is difficult for you, you work all of that out between you and the Lord uh, in a way that makes good common sense. I want you guys to know that I love you. I hope that you're able to take me up on this uh, and join me in doing this for them. Uh, They have not asked uh, for this. Um, They're probably embarrassed that I'm doing it for them. But some other of you have thought that this would be a good idea, and I agree. So that's why we're doing it. So we're going to wind down to our time of invitation. If you want to pray about anything uh, or any other decision that you want to make during our time of invitation, I'd invite you to do that. I'd invite you to uh, be encouraged about the things that I was preaching about when it comes to prayer, and keeping God's Word a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. And I hope that you'll join me uh, in fasting tomorrow, and I hope you'll come Enjoy a meal with us at uh, 7 o'clock on Monday. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we can come before you in prayer. Lord, we thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Father, I pray as a church that you would give us the boldness and the confidence to trust you for big things. And Father, I pray for anyone who's working through anything in prayer that you would Uh, get them into your word, that you would help them to make uh, decisions, even if they're not convenient or profitable. But Lord, help us to be a people that stand for you regardless of the cost. Lord, I pray for our church that we would come together in unity starting tonight at seven. Lord, I pray that we would corporately 
enjoy a fast. Praying when we're hungry, praying when we're thirsty, and just begging you every minute that you would hear our prayers and work in this situation. Father, we thank you that uh, you do hear our prayers. And Father, I pray that all of this in some way, shape, or form would draw us closer to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you would stand for our hymn of invitation. I don't want to cut anybody short by any means, but uh, I hope that you'll continue to uh, pray for what we've been talking about. And uh, I want to introduce to you two people. You already know them. And if you're like me, come on up here. You're probably wondering, what are they doing down here? I thought for a long time that George and Lillian were members of our church and uh, found out that they weren't. And uh, this... uh, this is George, obviously, and Lillian. Lillian has a uh, yellow flower there uh, in memory of her father who just passed away. And uh, one of the things that led them to coming to our church uh, in membership, they've been coming for a while, is how great many of you were to Lillian uh, through everything that's been going on with her father and through helping her get to a lot of her uh, pulmonary appointments. Uh, you can't put a price on how, how great of people you guys are. And uh, your kindness and Christ-likeness uh, is causing people to, to join us in fellowship. And so I appreciate all of you guys. Uh, George and Lillian come from Green's Cross. They're going to transfer their letter from there. They've both been uh, saved. They put their faith in Jesus Christ, uh, believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. And they've both been baptized by immersion. And so if you'll have them as part of our church family, let it be known by saying I. I. And so, gang, it's good to have you. I'm going to ask them to uh, stay down here. You can come by and greet them, welcome them to the family. Just a reminder so you know what's going on this week. We're going to corporately fast if you're physically able. Tonight at 7 o'clock through tomorrow at 7 o'clock p.m. And we're going to come together and share a meal afterwards. If you're able to come to the meal, great. If you're not, um, give me a call if you don't mind. And let me know that you were taking part. And that way I can let other folks that are able to come on Monday be encouraged that there's more of us, even if our schedules don't allow us to come uh, Monday night to have dinner together. I love you guys. I'm praying for all of you. And uh, let me close us in prayer now. Father, again, we thank you for the common salvation that you've given us. Lord, we thank you uh, for George and Lillian and them joining our faith family. Father, we pray for uh, young Graham. We pray for Matt and Liz. We pray for Ron and Pam. Lord, we pray that you would give them wisdom and peace and comfort uh, through everything that they're working through. And Father, when it doesn't seem clear what your will is, Lord, I pray that you would be a constant light to their path uh, in making any decisions. Father, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the great things that you're doing amongst us. Lord, I pray that you would continue to use us uh, to reach the nations for your glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.